<laughs> Thank you, Luke. All right, eight, 18 through 20. When Holly and I, let's see, it was 2006. Um, we, we, uh, we just had Trey, who's about six months old or so, and we had, um, or a year and a half old, sorry. We had, um, we, we, we bought a home in a neighborhood called Cottonwood. It's uh, over in, the, in Franklin. And the nickname of the neighborhood by people who had lived there and bought houses was Rottenwood um, because the homes just required so much maintenance and, and, and upkeep um, if you were going to enjoy them for any standard period of time. And in fact, so when we, the home was listed at a pretty significant discount based on the reality that someone was going to have to pour in a good deal of money to bring it up to speed. And by a good deal of money or by bringing it up to speed, I mean everything, like Roof, siding, chimney, windows, flooring, kitchen, paint, bathroom. Did I leave anything out? Like it was, it was, it needed to be start. It needed to start over. In fact, when the home inspector, I mean, I was like, you know, 31. What do you know when you're 31? Not much, by the way. And uh, the home inspector came and he did the whole thing and he's, he's like, you know, um, I are you sure you want to buy this house? Like, you're not even really supposed to say that as an inspector. He's like, like because, for example, in the, in the attic, um, there's a bird's nest so large, I'm a concern that a condor may live up there. And, and it, was like a, it was a bird that, like, they live as families. There were 30 birds living in the attic. Like, it was really, really disastrous. Like, he wanted to make sure, right, that I understood the cost before I had to pay the cost, of what, what, what I was doing. Um, and, and we did. We considered the cost, and we, and, we paid, and we paid the cost, and it was a wonderful home for us uh, until we were, had to leave. So um, I, I want to look at a text with you today where Jesus is asking us to do the same thing. Okay? In these four or five little verses, Jesus is going to require us to consider the cost, and then he's going to ask us to pay the cost. Okay? So let's, um, let's take a look together at Matthew 8, 18 through 22. And in this text, there are two interactions, two different people interacting with Jesus. And Jesus gives two very pithy, strong, clear, concise teachings about what it means to follow him. So in verses 18 through 20, Matthew introduces us to a person who approaches Jesus, and this is a person who wants to follow Jesus, but he hasn't considered the cost of doing it. Okay? So he's, he wants to follow him, he, but whatever he's heard so far, but he hasn't really sat down with a spreadsheet and thought it through. Okay? Look at verses 18 and 19. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. And a scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that, that statement, verse, the whole verse 19, would be really benign were it not for who is saying this and to whom they are saying it. Because the fact that a scribe says this is really remarkable. Because we're going to see throughout Matthew that scribes were like Pharisees in the sense that most of them really did not like Jesus at all. 
To say that they were opposed to him is to put it mildly. But right here, in this moment, early in Jesus' ministry, we have a scribe who thought highly enough of Jesus at this point to want to submit to him as his disciple. Okay? But there are some problems with this. Number one, the scribe doesn't really know who he's talking to. In your, in your Bible, mine says the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB says teacher. This, the, the word is rabbi. Okay? And the fact that he uses the word rabbi to address Jesus is proof enough that he doesn't really know who he's talking to. It's, it's a courteous word. It's, a, it's, a, it's ma'am in the south, not in the north. That's an insult. But down here, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a form of courtesy, sir. But if you keep reading through the Gospel of Matthew, no one who's actually committed to Jesus as a disciple ever uses this title um, um, because it doesn't convey everything there is to know about Jesus. So he doesn't really know. You can just tell this based on the form of address. He doesn't really know Jesus. And the second problem here is that he doesn't know what he's asking. He's bringing to the table certain assumptions, certain presumptions about what it means to be a disciple, not just about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, but what it means to be a disciple in general. He doesn't know what he's asking. He's willing to be Jesus' disciples wherever he goes, and that is a great thing, but he doesn't know what it means. He doesn't have all the information that he needed to make an informed decision, and he's filling in the gaps of his own mind with certain assumptions, and he's making this proclamation. I I will follow you wherever you go. So Jesus fills in the gaps with all the right information. Look at verse 20. He says, Jesus told him, Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So what, what does this mean? It means that if the scribe wanted to follow Jesus... He needed to look at the invoice before he committed to paying it. It means that he needed to read the terms of service. Okay. You ever read the terms of service? Like every website I go to has this thing at the bottom like, hey, would you please accept all the cookies that we're going to use to track you across all the, you know. Will you, by, by clicking here, you agree to our terms of service. By clicking submit, you agree to our Does anybody ever actually read the terms of service? No. We just assumed that some lawyer needed to feel important, that that's not going to harm us, and we click on the submit button and we, and we go with it. If we actually read the terms of service, maybe, just maybe, we would not click submit, right? What we see in this text is someone who actually needed to read the terms of service. Okay? And so Jesus gave them to him. Now, fortunately, it wasn't in really tiny font that not even, I can't, I mean, I, this, these are not enough anymore for terms of service. I need these and a magnifying glass. Now, this is 2020. You cannot be 2020 and read the terms of service. You need 2020 plus light plus magnification. Jesus doesn't offer those kinds of terms of service. He says, I want to be really clear with you up front, right? Foxes have holes. They have holes. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If the scribe wishes to follow Jesus, he needs to bear this in mind. 
if you're going to follow me over the next two or three years, you need to know that I hold on very loosely to possessions. You need to know that I don't have a job. You need to know that I own virtually nothing. To be the disciple of such a man might be super interesting, but it would not be comfortable. Okay. To follow Jesus is to sign up for eternal security, but not earthly security. There was nothing middle class about Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you have experienced this. At many times in your life, following Jesus has made you uncomfortable, if not miserable. Can we just acknowledge, those of us who are Christians, trying to follow Jesus, can we just acknowledge that our life would be easier if we didn't from time to time? There have been other times where we can't fathom life without him. And that's true, and that's right, and that's good. But our relationship with this world would be so much easier sometimes if it weren't for Jesus. It is hard to die to yourself. It is hard to swallow pride. It is hard to grieve sin. It is hard to love others as yourself. It is hard to do to others as you would have them do to you. It is hard believing in absolute truth. It is hard speaking truth in love. It is hard to love your enemies. It is hard praying and submitting to your civil authorities. You didn't know that was in there, did you? Romans 13, okay, we'll get there one day, right? Following Jesus is like camping. Not glamping, not RVing, not $75 a night at Disney Wilderness, okay? Camping, it's like camping, except it's for your whole life, okay? Not for the weekend, where you feel like, oh, I woke up in the woods today, I'm totally refreshed. It's, it's, it's not what this is about. Following Jesus is to live like the next world matters more than this one. And to follow Jesus is to hold on loosely to anything and everything that you currently hold dear and important. So Jesus says, read the terms of service, and here they are. Just one page. Really simple. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. I hold on loosely to this world. And you're going to have to as well. So that's a person who wanted to follow Jesus without considering the cost. Now Matthew takes us to a person who wants to follow Jesus without paying the cost. Look at verse 21. Lord, another of his disciples, interesting word, said, first, let me go bury my father. So if the first person needed to read the terms of service, this person wanted to bring his own terms of service. You don't get a chance to do that, do you? You want to be in a legal relationship with somebody, a product that they've made, or a subscription service like that, you don't get to say, well, here are my terms. You have to submit to theirs. Well, this gentleman's trying to do the opposite. He's trying to bring his own terms of service to his nature of his discipleship with Jesus. And his terms are, I need to go bury my father. Now, what does this actually mean? So right in the margin of your Bible, we don't know what this actually means. 
Okay, because we don't, right? Now, he probably doesn't mean that his father just died. Because in Jewish culture during this time, you were buried within 24 hours of your death. Okay, so if the father had just died, it's really doubtful that he'd be out walking around, talking to folks um, during a very reclusive mourning period for the family. Okay, that would be associated with it. So it doesn't mean that. Now, it could mean, I want to follow you, Jesus, but give me a year. Because after the first burial, a whole year would go by, and the flesh would rot and decay, and the firstborn son would go back to the tomb, which was a tomb, not a grave, but a tomb, and he would remove the bones from the burial grounds, and he would bury them in a special box in a slot in the tomb's wall. So it could mean that Jesus, he's saying to Jesus, he's died, let me do the next burial in a year, and then I will follow you. Or it could mean that the man's father is still alive, and that he is just referring to the obligation to be a dutiful firstborn son. My, you know, my dad's in his twilight years, and you know, it's not, he's not the same as he used to be. He's just not getting around real well, and on and on and on it goes. But if this were the case, the man is saying, I'm not going to follow you, maybe for several years, just someday after I've done my duty to my first father, my only, my father as the firstborn son, then I will be your disciple. I get it, just not now. But we really just don't know. But what we don't need to know that. We don't need to know exactly what's going on because this man's precise terms of service for following Jesus were, because whatever they were, Jesus just rejects them. Look at verse 22. Jesus told him, clearly understanding what he meant, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus is demanding that this son place Jesus above any responsibility that this son had to his earthly father. It's going to cost him. And we need to feel the weight of this because in Jewish tradition, honoring father and mother was one of the greatest of the Ten Commandments. For someone to choose a rabbi at the expense of not burying one's father, whatever that meant, that would have been received as heresy. So Jesus is laying down very strict terms of service, and we have to pay them if we're going to be his disciple. And there are three implications for us from this text right here, just this last part, right? The first of it is this. There's no version of us following Jesus on our terms. I've said it once. I just wanted to make it super clear. Discipleship under Jesus is non-negotiable. Jesus does not bargain. Jesus does not haggle. Jesus does not negotiate. These are the terms. Pay the terms. You're done. I had an interesting conversation with, with a with a business guy that I was, I was talking to, and it, we were trying to figure out if we could work together on some stuff years ago. And, and I said, you know, would you, what, what do you think about, like, instead of this fee, what do you think about, like, a 20% discount on, on this? And, he, and he's like, no. <laughs> I said, well, why not? He's like, because it, it decreases the value of what I'm offering. It's worth this. This is what it's worth, and I'm not going to discount this because this is actually what it's worth. It's not worth more. It's not worth less. This is what it's, he was placing value on it. He was non-negotiable. 
Jesus knows what is required, and it's non-negotiable. So we don't, there's no version of us following him in a way that makes him compromise the gospel. It's not going to happen. The second is that his terms of service are super clear and they are super expensive. Jesus has not hidden the potential cost for us, right? So I got on this list of distressed properties in Birmingham, Alabama, where Trey is now in college. And it sends me this, oh, I just got bombarded with, those of you that ever done, just bombarded with you know, really cheap, distressed properties. You know, this one's 30000 this one's 40000 These are houses, you know, just completely distressed. They're people who like to flip and sell, flip and sell, which I do not like to do, so I'm off the list now. But it's just, you know, it's done. And, and um, in every one of the listings, it says, buyer must do his or her own due diligence, right? Because they're not going to tell you everything that's wrong with this house. You need to figure out if this is something you're going to illustrate in based on your own due diligence, you need to understand, you need to get clarity about the cost. Jesus is doing that for us. He's not hiding anything. He's saying, this is what it is, and this is what it costs. It's clear, and it is costly. And the third thing that we take away from this, these last two verses is, is this is a warning. J- Jesus is, is pointing out that you and I have a tendency to create obstacles in order to justify not following Jesus. And oftentimes, they are good things that are the enemy of the best thing. So with the first gentleman, Jesus identified cost that the other person was unlikely aware of. But with the second, That person had cost of his own that he was unwilling to pay. And so what cost is it that we create? What are we unwilling to pay? When we delay and we excuse, it's all the things that we do to justify elevating our own terms of service over Jesus's and just hoping that he'll come around and understand. That's cheap grace, what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. So we have a person who is not considering the cost. He wants to follow Jesus, but he's not even thinking about what it's going to cost him. And the fact that we don't get an answer implies, if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, this is the, implica- the implication is that he doesn't. And then you have a person who's aware of what it costs, but wants to adjust the terms of service. And he's not going to follow Jesus either. So this week I got a corporate email from my company, and it was we get this email every year, and the email is from legal, from the legal department, which is always super fun to read, right? And it's a Google form that we had to fill out, where we have to verify with the company that we are not affiliate. Like my wife doesn't own stock in some paper company that we buy all of our paper from. You know that there's. But the problem is, oh, you answer a few questions, it's super clear, but then there's this question that says, now, there's a whole bunch more we really need to ask you about, but it's really way too much for us to put into a Google form. So will you click here and read this, and then when you click here, will you click this box that verifies that you read all this stuff? So you click there, and it's like a 400-page book in PDF. Now, 
Everybody in the company is required to answer this survey in 10 days. And no one in this company is going to read that book. Let's just be honest. But everybody in the company is going to click on that box that said what? I agree to the terms of service. Right. When Holly and I, uh, four or five years ago, we flew, uh, we took a, a family vacation, and we had a flight booked from, uh, this was five, four or five years ago. We were in, in, in Europe, and we, we, were, we had a flight reserved on Scandinavian Airlines. Okay? Scan, SAS, Scandinavian Airlines. And we were going to fly from Copenhagen to Paris, and then back on Delta or somewhere, some, some domestic airline from Paris home. The reason I booked Scandinavian Airlines is because it was a $40 a ticket flight. Like, so the four, six of us could fly for $250 round trip. I mean, not round trip, but one way, with our luggage, like super cheap, right? So the problem with a super cheap model is that your pilots eventually want to be paid more. And while we are cruising across the Atlantic, number one, Notre Dame, Notre Dame catches fire, which we weren't going to see that. And then number two, Scandinavian Airlines goes on strike. So we come to port in Copenhagen, and we can't get on our Scandinavian Airlines flight um, for, um, because of the, uh, of the that they could not come to the agreement on the terms of service. And I had not read anything about airlines going on strike or anything like that at all, and so I had to spend $2,000 on Ryanair, you know, or no, or whatever it was, EasyJet, or something, you know, weird, you know, some, some version of Allegiant where they just, you know, you hold on, to the, just hope that you, you know, oh, you know we're going to make it. Uh, you know, they're sitting on bare metal, and it was all that, right? It was really, really difficult. Um, and I just, like, the, the costliness, the ripple effect of all of that problem and, and frustration, it just it rippled through our, the whole last week of our, of our vacation. Jesus is saying, at the very beginning of his ministry, at the very beginning of his ministry, right? He's saying, you want to be my disciple? I'm making you... I, this, it is his mission on earth to bring the kingdom of God to bear on the life. He's just healed people, right? He's bringing the ministry of the gospel to bear in the lives of people on this earth. And then no sooner is it done, people says, I'm in. I want to follow the guy who can touch a leper and get away with it and heal him. I want to touch the, follow the guy who can, with a word, heal a Gentile servant who works for the Roman government, a soldier nonetheless. I want to follow that guy who can heal him. I want to follow this. I want to what? I want to follow. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven. But it's also a, a, a picture of what it's going to look like for me to get you to heaven, which is the cross. I did not come here to make it all your best life now. I came here to make it your best life forever, and that's going to cost me my life. And if you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you your life. He's just beginning his ministry. Terms of service are clear, and they are costly. Okay? So if you want to be a Christian, if you want eternal security to the glory of God, totally satisfied forever, it will, this is how it goes. You follow Jesus, and you pay the cost. 
best investment you'll ever make. Okay? Father, we are eager to, to know what it means to follow you, and here we have a clear and, and compelling two statements. Whether we want to come to you but, and we don't have all the information. We think, you know, maybe I'm interested. Well, now we know it's going to cost us. And, and whether we've, we know what it's going to cost us, and if we're unwilling, Lord, you remove those obstacles in our heart, would you make us willing to pay the, pay the cost to follow you? And we who are right with you, we're declared righteous by grace through faith. The struggle is real. <laughs> the struggle is real. We, it's, it's not just one cost, one time. It's everything. We are dying to self to bring glory to you. And so we ask for the strength and the spirit to do it.